0: Head to nextreel.com slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got
1: lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011.
0: That's right. Twelve years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week.
1: If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on.
0: That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club.
1: In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff.
0: We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least.
1: (laughs) For our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There?
0: We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis' Christmas in July.
1: We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre.
0: And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well.
0: Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at the slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you.
1: So dive in and get your next read today. the slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading.
0: Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode
1: of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like.
0: So thank you everybody for downloading and listening to the next reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show.
1: Oh, how do I sound? No, I pressed the button actually, just then,
0: and then now you did that "o" oh thing.
1: Oh, sorry. No, I, I actually was <laughs> hadn't really adjusted my microphone, but as long as you think I sound good, then I will. I'm good.
0: no you sound great
1: you sound great. okay to go you sound terrific i'm okay to go just like um jodie foster in contact okay to go i loved i loved that movie
0: i also think that may have been matthew mcconaughey's uh, best film i don't think he's done anything better since i wanted to be a reverend i wanted to be a priest when i saw that movie because of him there's always Magic Mike. Which, which shows which shows the depth of my uh, devotion to the cloth. <laughs> 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 if I can be swayed by the coolness of Matthew McConaughey in contact, it, you could tell it was a little bit fleeting, dalliance with uh, spirituality. But that,
1: that was it. No, you should do it. You should do it. You, you should, think I should? You, you should, should start the religion of Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> Because Jedi was taken and Vulcan actually is (laughs) a race. All you need is bongo drums and and drums and some weed and go sit on the beach.
0: (laughs) Good. Um, Okay, so we got a couple of things to talk about. I have no trailers to talk about. I'm not bringing any trailers to the table tonight, but I do want to bring one movie that I think you know what I'm talking about. I have caught up on it. I know we need to talk about it just briefly and Mm -hmm. then we can move on. Can we do it? Do you I have did, any trailers? I didn't
1: know at first and then you said that and I yeah. Yes, we should.
0: Do you have trailers to talk about? Should we talk about them quickly?
1: I have probably oh. haven't
0: seen them. But no. go ahead. No. Spider-Man. The Amazing. The Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man yeah. Okay. Which so, lives up to its name. Wow. Wow.
1: I was really
0: taken by surprise in this movie, and there are people who were apparently uh, surprised in the negative way. I and I am surprised by that. Yeah, I was. I was. Uh, uh, I really like this movie, and now that I've had some time to to kind of decompress uh, over it, I I feel like I know why now. Uh, after a couple of days, um, but I I really want to hear your your perspective on this movie.
1: What do you What do you think? I. I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, I was... I can't remember if we've talked about it, but I, I wasn't that thrilled about the fact that they were rebooting Spider-Man already. I mean, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. I really enjoyed all of the... Well, the first two of the Sam Raimi movies, and I just pretend the third one doesn't exist. Um,
0: Which is not entirely fair,
1: but go it's, ahead. It's not fair, but <laughs> that's the... That's the way it's going to be. Okay, I know it exists, but I just don't like it. How's that? that That's marginally better, but not really. I mean, you (laughs) could, your phone, your phone, your phone, it's not a terrible terrible film. It's
0: not a terrible, oh,
1: go on. Anyway, I really enjoyed the first two Spider-Man movies. I really enjoyed everything about them. I thought they did a great job made a lot of smart decisions, and I think it worked really, really well. When I found out that they were rebooting Spider-Man, and not, not just like, you know, doing more of the franchise, i.e. just another Spider-Man tale, but an actual reboot, an you know, origin, the, the origin, the origin story, a yeah, new the origin, origin story. story all over again within, you know, less than a decade from when the trilogy ended. In fact, I think a, a decade from when the first of the trilogy actually came out. It just seems silly. I'm like, seriously, we all know the story. So, um, and, and I went, here's to- the thing.
0: It's not like this is just as a little parenthetical. It's not like this is a wholly new team. I mean the same, I, Avi Arad. I mean, it's the same Marvel production team that is behind the amazing Spider-Man as was behind the first three movies.
1: Go. Sure. Well, well, the Marvel guys, I mean, they're, they're going to be involved no matter what. And I, I don't, I actually, that's a good question. I'm not sure if outside of the, you know, core Marvel team, if there were any other um, people crossing over from the first trilogy to this well, one, well, and that's yeah.
0: that's what I meant. Is that is that yeah. core Marvel team making that de- the core Marvel team, which has let me wait, let me count one, carrying for seventeen godzillion characters at their <laughs> behest to do with as they please, and they choose to reboot Spider-Man a decade after they'd rebooted Spider-Man. Go, I, that's yeah. my thing.
1: It's it's it seems silly, but. Um, you know, then I heard that they had Mark Webb on to direct it. And I'm like, okay, that's an interesting choice. He did 500 days of summer. I love 500 days of summer. Um, I thought maybe there was something going on. And then I heard Andrew Garfield. I'm like, okay, that's an interesting choice. And then I heard about his whole thing at comic con last year. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. I started falling in love with it. And then I saw the trailer and I started falling out of love with it again. I'm like, ah, oh, it looks silly. I don't really like Andrew Garfield. That scene with him and the the thief with the knife, it just even even in the finished film I think it's just a very silly scene I just don't like it at all. Well, it was my kid's, um, and the Lizard's was my kid's face. I was just, guy. you know, not thrilled with the Lizard's face, but other than that I saw the movie and I was just like, wow, everything else I thought they did so well. You know, uh, Gwen, Stacy, Captain Stacy, um Spider-Man, Peter Parker, Uncle Ben, Aunt May, the lizard. You know, I, I, it's like I, they captured all the characters so well, and the way they retold the origin story, I thought was very interesting. I really liked the new take on Uncle Ben and the, you know, the famous, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. How they tweaked that a little bit, I liked that. Yeah. All of the stuff yeah, they, they, they did tweaked, just... they tweaked that. You know, that was. I don't know, I have the piece of the script in front of me, but the
0: quote you could tell. Oh, okay. We're really gonna try to jam with great power comes great responsibility, and we have to use all different words in a different order. Go, you yes. know what I mean? Like, the, but really, it worked. It was, it I didn't, thought it, it worked. Didn't. That was the cl- I, for me. That was the clumsiest part of the script. Mm. Was him trying to trying to outline Spider Man's dile- metaphorical dilemma,
1: um, or philosophical dilemma? And I felt, in w- I felt words. that was a lot stronger. And I felt the whole um, death of Uncle Ben was actually much more powerful in yes. this version. Yes
0: absolutely that that's the piece the piece that i like you know and and so you see the movie and you're just you get to be blown away by the spectacle of it because it's it's a spectacle and they do they do a good job with the spectacle and the swinging and you know i i didn't mind the first person parts of it i i felt like they they did that in a a a pretty integrated way you know i didn't find it distracting as as many have said that that they found it
1: but i didn't uh, find that distracting um this uh, in the film itself like when they showed that footage I think that they released it at Comic Con last year, and it was like a trailer of all first-person climbing yes. and swinging. Yes, yes, that that, that was a little bit obscene. much. I was like, if this is what it's going to be like, then they're definitely going down the wrong yeah. the wrong track. Absolutely agree with that.
0: But but what I found uh, that that stuck with me, the, you know, after the movie, uh, an hour after the movie, you're still thinking about swinging and and kind of then then you kind of hit on the emotional highs that stick with you, and then you figure out how the movie's aging with you. And for me, the piece that the, the scene that I think about the most one that I find representative of this movie is um, uh, uh, Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker and uh, uh, Gwen Stacy in the high school uh, hall, empty high school hallway, trying to ask each other out on a date.
1: Yeah, that's and
0: and and I think I I think the. For me, the single highest point of this film is Andrew Garfield's portrayal of Peter Parker. This is the Peter Parker that I feel like I grew up with. Mm-hmm. This is the awkward 17-year-old kid, and I think he nailed it in a way that Tobey Maguire did not. And, and I was having a conversation with uh, with uh, another uh, friend, my my only other friend, uh, who said, <laughs> um, you know, had this point that that, you know, I didn't realize uh what i didn't like about toby maguire's portrayal until i saw this like i it, something just always felt kind of off kind of yellow about it and and now i now i know it's the it was the awkward kid approach and and i think he just the, the stumbling through dinner at the stacy house was was terrific it was terrific mm-hmm. i think he he Played the duality of Peter Parker and Spider Man, uh, you know, better than I've seen, and and that made the movie. I was a real high of the movie, and I think that's the. You, you mentioned Five Hundred Days of Summer. I mean, you, that's the the sort of character angle of this film that that allows the the actors and the people uh, and the and the characters that they are portraying to balance out the spectacle. And I, I think this movie did it really well, surprisingly well for a a reboot. Uh, It did a great
1: job. And, um, I also really felt that they, that they developed the relationship very, uh, properly between, um, Peter or uh, Spider-Man and the lizard and Peter and Dr. Connor. And that whole idea that, you know, Peter's not out to just, you know, get rid of the lizard and try to kill him. He's trying to stop him and help him so that he can be better. And yeah. I thought that was just so well done. Like the scene where they're fighting in the high school and he's all he's all Peter or spider Man's is trying to do is just stop him because yeah. he knows that this is not Dr. Connor. And I, it's like that they nailed that so right. And that was one of my favorite um, relationships in the comic book was was um, the lizard and Spider-Man and how Peter was never trying to just get rid of him he's always just trying to stop him and get him treatment so that he can get better again exactly i was so happy to see that well in that scene when they're fighting in the high school when he uh you know when he
0: he pulls gwen to him and says i'm gonna throw you out the window now (laughs) like that was just that was a, a perfect Perfect, uh, perfectly executed rescue. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. Perfect. And and you know, I my wife didn't see the movie with me. I, I took my kids and and uh, so later we came home and 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 you know, my kids were so excited about the bridge rescue, uh, where all the cars are hanging from the bridge mm, by the the right. web, and he he pulls Jack out of the car and and you know I. That moment hits such an emotional high in the movie when he when he says, you know, put the mask on, Jack, it'll make you stronger like that. I'm watching my wife, who is typically not a fan of these movies, and she had goosebumps. I mean, she was just really moved by that. And I think that really, you know, sets the sets the bar for for where they go with these next films. It'll be really interesting to see how they uh, you know how they make the the leap across the the sequel transom.
1: Yeah, I, and I'm very curious to see what they do with it cuz the ending, the little, you know, tease at the end left me. Yeah. Who was that? Um, was that a lot Norman? Of questions as to who who are they bringing into the next one. So
0: they they have to it seems I don't know. I mean, how do you how do you make a Spider-Man movie and not fully introduce Norman Osborn in some capacity?
1: I don't see I my theory there's the fantastic uh, Spider-Man series out there uh, that involved Lizard. It involved um, uh, Craven the Hunter and yeah, it involved yeah. Vermin. And Vermin is kind of, a, you know, a, in, in kind of the way that Lizard is kind of half man, half lizard. Vermin is kind of half man, half rat. And he lives in the sewers. And uh, I got a hint from that end that maybe that's vermin and maybe what they're doing is they're making vermin actually, um, Peter Parker's father, he had done some experimentation with rats and trying to kind of do that mix and he became vermin and is now living in the sewers and he's now, you know, coming in, you know, mental flashes to Dr. Connor while he's in prison and maybe they're going to introduce that story with Craven the Hunter. That oh, that's would be really awesome. interesting. My favorite Spider-Man story ever. So uh, I don't know if they're going to, but I have, who knows? Uh, you, it, it was it was a strange little tease, and it's hard to tell really what's going on. You
0: know, it, it's interesting. Uh, the it, the one other other point on on uh, what they are taking from um, you know other spy, Spider-Man sort of universes, right? The Spider-Man universe. What what I found really interesting is they're not not afraid to let him really get hurt. Uh, yeah. I don't think in the first in in the in the recent trilogy did we see him get shot did we see Spider-Man actually ever get shot
1: I don't think he got shot but he sure got hurt a lot
0: he got beat up but he he didn't quite get well okay wait a minute there was that there was that bit uh, at the end of um, I guess he always gets his mask ripped so he only has like one eye showing and uh, yeah they his did mask rip the always mask gets
1: up. halfway torn off so I you, just you can f- know, tell that it is Toby it, yeah, there's <laughs> always something. There, I, guess.
0: I it just <laughs> felt like they weren't afraid to, to really uh, to, to knock him around and and I loved I, I actually I thought I was gonna you know really resent the fact that his ma- he was always taking his mask off and and but but I think it actually played really well. You know, I I I think they got, you know, seeing him get shot uh, is a is a different um, you know, it it's a different feeling than comic violence, you know? Yeah, uh, and and so it leads me to to sort of what they're doing with the ultimate uh, uh, ultimate comic Spider Man, right? And, and and the fact that Peter Parker is dead in one in in this uh, storyline and and replaced by you know Miles Morales, this a whole new uh, Spider Man kid, and and so you know I, I there's just so much story to go from. It. I think that's that's one of those sort of the more we're going to take for granted the fact that there's a there's a kid who climbs on walls and we're going to mm. take really we're going to dismiss the storylines where there's the island of of spider people and and <laughs> you know then we're but but we are going to introduce this sense of of reality that here's a kid who can who can get hurt and that changes the that changes the dramatic uh, potential of the story and i think it's really interesting
1: yeah um so uh
0: I, now well, i do a i great
1: movie i'm curious to see uh, where they go from here
0: well i'm very excited now we have i i have some some uh, uh, housekeeping. Uh, Mm. I have a segue to housekeeping. Fantastic. Put your uh, apron on. The first... My apron's already on. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Just my... (laughs) I should have known. What was I thinking? Just my apron and a smile. And uh, (laughs) so uh, this coming uh, Saturday, uh, you're listening to this uh, lovely podcast this Saturday, we're going to do our second in our what would you call it uh historic uh oh, late night movies definitely. we the movies we like uh late night movie clutch uh on Google Plus on our Google Hangout and uh, so we'll be posting that and embedding that video on our on our webpage at uh, rashpixel.tv/mwl and we will also uh, post that on our, uh, on the, obviously it'll be on our YouTube page and on our Google Plus uh, page if you are a Google Plus user, and it will be on our Facebook page. And it, it, that's the second bit of housekeeping. We have updated uh, our Facebook. It Formerly, you could go to uh, the Rash Pixel page and get updates about movies we like, but we have so many playable movies we like, uh, shows now that we went ahead and launched our very own movies we like uh facebook page so facebook.com slash movies we like and you will get to the sh- the podcast page for this show so if you if you aren't interested in organizing or uh project management or uh, dare i say marketing uh you can just like that page and get only updates to m- the movie show and we invite you to do that um Fantastic. and speaking of the hangout we do have let's see confirmed we've got our friend uh, uh, mike evans uh, we've got our friend, um, S- uh, Steve Sarmento is going to be joining us. A- oh, good. And we have our, our, uh, our dear friend, Chad Stoops, who says he's actually uh, germane to our topic that night. He is going to wear his pissed off Robin costume. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what that means, I, but the text he sent <laughs> me was awesome. I'm gonna wear my pissed off Robin costume to celebrate. We will, of course, be talking about the third and uh, final Christopher Nolan Batman film, which launches into the world on Thursday night, and so we will see it and we will talk about it on Saturday night at uh, nine thirty Pacific or nine maybe eight thirty. What did I say? Eight or nine? Well, watch the pages. You'll have the eight thirty. Eight thirty. I think, think eight thirty. We Pacific. About, but yeah, watch the pages. That's it. That's a story. Do I have anything? Did I miss anything? Uh, do we need to... Are we talking about
1: where they find us now, or are we doing that later? Oh, God. Well, I think I, I think we covered it, right? Where are they can... We, Stitcher, except for you. Radio and, Ex- I, I don't know. For you. I get lost in all that.
0: Well, go ahead and do your thing.
1: Uh, people can find me at SodaCreekFilm.com or on Twitter at SodaCreekFilm and Facebook. Excellent. And- SodaCreekFilm and, of course, Rash Pixel. Which is excellent, and uh, so
0: yeah, rashpixel.tv for the show uh, slash MWL. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. We definitely appreciate it when you do that and leave us comments and and uh, give us ratings because that helps other people find us, uh, and um, it it makes makes things more better. Believe that or not. Um, uh, let's see, uh, we also have completed the move to SoundCloud and so if you're a SoundCloud user you can go uh, follow the set uh, just look for Rashpixel or search for movies we like, you can find it, all of the players on Facebook and everywhere around are the SoundCloud players and so you can leave comments right in the stream and sh- please do that if you, when you are screaming probably <laughs> at me you can leave a comment as such and just say, you know ah, ah See what you can do to make a good scream when you when you find things are insane. You know, I, that's that, as, as I'm sure that our friend Mike Evans is right now cataloging his list of hates and he will begin uh, begin talking about them on Saturday but, night. And I hope he will... Steve
1: Sarmento, please finish your yard work <laughs> before you come back in to so, do SoundCloud. Right. And scream SoundCloud
0: will will uh, will will hurt you. So that's uh, that's where we are. Um uh, we're we're pretty much everywhere so you can yeah, wherever finer podcasts are cataloged and mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. it. So tonight what what are we talking about tonight Andy?
1: Tonight is our uh our build up to The Born Legacy which opens in a, a few weeks. Tonight we're going to start the Born series with The Born Identity from 2002, Doug Lyman's film. Oh, I love this movie. I really I really do.
0: Uh and and you know okay so I don't know where to start the this you sent some links and and uh, on chaos, uh,
1: cinema. chaos cinema chaos which cinema which we can start talking about tonight I it, I it, think that's definitely stuff that that is going to be play in big in the born uh trilogy it's definitely going to play in a lot with the next two the born supremacy and the born born ultimatum. But um, I think it's important to discuss, though, this chaos cinema theory that uh, has kind of cropped up um, in the nature of the difference between this first one and then the next two.
0: Yeah, I, well, and that's that's what I was going to say. I think this is um, the the whole theory of chaos cinema sort of plays in, in with this movie and at this point in in filmmaking. Uh, kind of filmmaking history what was going on in the transition to you know making the transition to more seamless digital tools uh, i i think really kind of kind of makes that uh, an interesting conversation to have um so uh, we definitely have to talk about that uh Absolutely. first okay so first of all let's talk about let's talk about what this movie is It's based on the book the original as was the
1: book the the born identity by robert ludlam which is yeah uh, and i didn't realize this robert ludlum didn't start writing novels until he was 40 years old did you know that This puts a lot of weight on 40 doesn't it for you <laughs> it does i'm like wow i better get my first novels uh you know at the idea put together so i can start crack, cranking it out when i hit 40 cuz this guy wrote a ton
0: of books like he wrote a lot of
1: books i think right he wrote he wrote uh 21 books um officially that are uh, published around the world um, starting from 71 that was his first book his last book uh, Was published in his lifetime is published in the year 2000 and then of course now the name Robert Ludlum has basically been trademarked and there have been quite a number of Books that have been published published posthumously under the trademark name Robert Ludlum Although you know by a variety of authors Yeah People well, just love his uh, type of books, though. And he started at 40. I know. I know. It's, it's it's an amazing, I guess you could call it a second career. He actually started as an actor and worked in New York as a, he tried kind of opening up his own little theater. And uh, it, he was really struggling. And he had a wife and kids. And and he talked to um, his buddy, James Karen, who's a, a fantastic actor. Um, and uh, a great guy and he told him, he's just like, I can't do it. I can't keep this going. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, there's no way I can um, keep going, living like this, because I got to support my family. And uh, that was the last James Karen heard of him for a number of years. And then he wa- was walking around in a bookstore and he saw him sitting there signing books for his first novel and uh, you know he really kind of just decided to make a complete 180 in his life and and made a huge career out of writing books it's it's an amazing uh second career for this man
0: well it, it, it he has um he really defined a a a, a, a contemporary uh, espionage genre uh, sort of political thriller. Uh, he he, you know, he's obviously the sort of owns the genre. He definitely and, does. Uh, you know, like so many of his books are. You know, I just. They're they're classics from high school and and college. Uh, you know they they really sort of I I remember where I was when I was reading you know specific points in his books and 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 the born identity is is uh, you know one of those legendary uh, characters, uh, Jason Bourne and and it's it's one that is is fascinating for, you know, I think given the, the wild escapades that this, this character sort of gets himself into, um, watching and, and reading along, and, and I think, you know, to this discussion, watching Matt Damon play this character, uh, watching him regain his life with each of these sort of episodes, each of these adventures and each of these, you know, whether it's a fight or some dis- new discovery, watching him regain this piece of his memory, it, it makes this character really human and approachable. And, and I think uh, that's what that's one of the things for me that makes this movie so, um, so compelling to watch is that it, it really is a, a very simple story uh, and, and a very simple man uh, in a very complex situation.
1: Yeah, it, he really is, and it is it is very interesting to watch um, Matt Damon as Jason Bourne go through this movie. You can tell that it's just, you know, he's got retrograde amnesia, and he's he really is just searching for, for clues, trying to figure anything out, and as he starts gaining knowledge of things that just is, are so strange to him, like, why can I why do I have these strange fighting skills? Why do I, why am I paying attention to all the exits in this restaurant? Why do I know all the license plate numbers from the car? And I can tell who's going to be good in a fight in this place. You know, it's, it's a fascinating thing to explore. And I think one of the best moments in the movie um, is when it, right at the beginning, actually, when he's on the boat after he's been rescued out of the ocean and he's, looking at himself in that dirty mirror and just looking at his reflection and he's talking to himself asking him questions it's almost like he's interrogating himself in all these different foreign languages like he starts in french and then he's in german and and i he's he's asking himself questions trying to give himself clues and it's just it's so interesting that he's looking at himself and it's this interesting you know this dirty reflection in this in this kind of rusty, dirty mirror. And so the image itself is kind of like just this faded, unclear image of this man who is talking in all these languages and has no idea who he is. It's really, really interesting. It is interesting. And I think it's it's one of the
0: things that makes the the travelscape of this film work so well and and the way the 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 movie is filmed when you see you know this kind of montage i i I look at him you know making the transition into paris and and suddenly this character jason Bourne and matt damon you know as they're waiting on the stairs you know waiting at the front door and they're ringing the bell and he's he he looks totally out of place Mm -hmm. and uh and and he feel it feels like this giant hole in the middle of the of the film you know in the middle of the frame is is this guy who's like a giant sore thumb and then the the uh you know the, the woman of the house opens the door and she says, she has that look of familiarity and all of the sudden kind of magically all of the puzzle pieces of the frame come together and he totally belongs as he starts speaking French and he just sort of melds into the frame. And, and, and I find every transition, every, every sort of bit that he learns was just expertly written into this, into this, um, into the frame. And, and uh, uh it, it makes his discovery of his own identity that much more uh, powerful. Um, now, the the uh, uh, Lyman and I, I think we, let's let's step back a little bit and talk about how this movie ended up getting made because I think it's interesting. He really, when you compare the the Born Identity to uh, book to the movie, they they tossed out um, just about all of it.
1: Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's really interesting when you read the synopsis of the story. It starts off kind of similar and a- then amnesiac like guy got left shot. Turn. yeah <laughs> completely different
0: so uh so let's see do you want to do you you always do such a good job telling
1: the story of how these things got written oh, I, I you know i'm not i don't have a ton of information about this one um other than the thing that i found most fascinating now this is doug lyman he had been a an independent filmmaker up to this point this is a man who had started off in the mid 90s um his big film uh his second film was his big one it was swingers which came out in in the mid 90s it came out in 1995 and then he um went on to do go and then all of a sudden it or sorry the swingers was 96 and then all of a sudden. Um, because of the success of these films, I mean, he's clearly going in, in the right direction. Essentially, he was knocking at Hollywood's door, and he was able to kind of have his pick, and, and The Born Identity is the movie that he really wanted to do. Um, his father, actually, had worked um, in the NSA under... President Reagan and had been involved in the investigation in the Iran-Contra affair. And because of that, he was very interested in this world of spies and and all of that. And so this was the story that he really wanted to tell. Um, he knew he was going to have to change some of it. I mean, that is one reason that a lot of it changed is because these books definitely were dated. It was, it was a lot more about, you know, Jason Bourne had, you know, I believe some of his his problems had arisen when he was serving in the in the Vietnam War. And uh so um they dropped a lot of that and made it modern. And in the process of that they lost Carlos the Jackal, which was one of the major characters that got cut out of the story. But, you know, Doug Lyman really wanted to do this spy story. And so this is the story he developed. Um in the process of the of developing the story, you know, they talked to quite a number of actors to play Jason Bourne. Um, the strangest of which I thought was Sylvester Stallone, who seemed quite, unless he was going for it to be a later in life sort of story, it seemed pretty old to be playing Jason Bourne. I don't know. What did you think of that? Well, of of
0: the uh, idea of Stallone playing Bourne? Yeah, I, I, yeah. It seems like it would have been a vastly different uh, film. And I, you know, I... I feel I mean, like it,
1: so Stallone would have been fifty six years old making that movie. <laughs>
0: fifty six years old, yeah. It's uh, it, it's just not the same. And and you know I think there's a piece of it, uh, a piece of it that you you get a taste of in this first film, which we'll talk about in the in subsequent films uh, over the coming weeks. Which is there is this idea that the character has to be absolutely sort of vanilla. You know, I mean, whoever plays this is powerfully trained kind of uh, instrument it's a tool of treadstone this Mm -hmm. uh, government operation and as such the character has to be uh, somebody who can walk into any situation and just be generic and
1: Sylvester Stallone is not that guy no and, and and Matt Damon I think was the perfect choice for this because not saying that he's vanilla and generic but he plays that very well and and he just seems like the everyman interestingly he is in
0: Europe Right, I mean, uh, you know, solid jaw, blonde, short hair. I mean, he's, right. you know, you see Matt Damon's all over, uh, walking all over the streets of Europe. Definitely. So, uh, you know, I think he, I think you're right. I think he was um, just the right uh, choice for the part. There, there's
1: somebody else. Who else am I, I'm missing? That wasn't Russell, just a Russell, Russell Crow. Russell Crow. The That's other the other that, one uh, that popped up. But he also felt too old to me. I mean, that would have been. Coming on the heels of, I, I believe it would have been Gladiator and A Beautiful Mind, and it again, it just seems like a kind of father figure sort of guy. It just didn't seem like, you know, young spy running around and and kicking butt. So
0: well, and and interesting kind of, uh, you know, Russell Crowe had had it was kind of sowing his oats as a character actor between those two movies, right? Between Gladiator and A Beautiful Mind. Uh, right. He was, he was showing what he was capable of. And both of those movies I thought were really exceptional movies in their own right. And, and, uh, uh, he did a great job in them. But again, he's a showpiece. Uh, and, and, um, boy, I, I think, I, I think the contrast is that Matt Damon brought the sensitivity of the fact that this movie is not about the fights, the fights are punctuation on uh, on this story of of the search for identity, and yeah. um, and and Sylvester Stallone. This I I feel like this movie would have been about the fights. That's the baggage that he brings. And, exactly, um, it and, would have turned it into an '80s action movie. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah he was already uh, on on target for that. Who who knew that just what it was? It six years later we would six was seven years later we would have the Expendables
1: uh yeah like eight years later that came out in, in twenty ten right
0: i you know i don't even know
1: it feels so. like it it feels like
0: it's been out much longer <laughs> I, and i I can say that because it feels like i've already forgotten about it
1: you only say that because the next one's coming out soon
0: <laughs> so okay um so matt Damon uh ended up uh bringing i think that 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 sensibility to the film and i think uh uh where do you what do you think about uh, frank franca Franco Potente.
1: I, um, you know, like the the few Americans who saw Run Lola Run in uh, theaters oh. when it came out in '99, completely fell in love with her. I was just totally taken with her. She was so great in Run Lola Run. Oh, she was terrific! It's such a just a stellar movie, just nonstop adrenaline uh, sort of movie, and I just loved it. This nonstop, over cra- and over again. That, Crazy German film that is like the same story told in three different ways, as if you have, you know, three different possibilities, almost like a, a video game starting again and, and taking a different path. You know, it was just a fascinating movie. I loved it. You can, so you can I was always tell. So that, excited you, when I saw her in this. You can so always
0: tell it's... cinema hipsters because um they either, uh, if they're women, you, you know, you don't need to know much about them, but they show up at a party and they have bright red hair. You know, they're cinema hipsters. <laughs> that's right. Right.
1: That's definitely uh, right. The, the characteristic uh, you know, Lola hair. And I'm a little sad that she just hasn't been in as much as I feel that she should have been after after breaking out and run Lola Run. And you know, I guess that's some something that happens with foreign actresses when they break into American cinema. They can either kind of have their one or two movies and then kind of disappear, kind of like Audrey Tattoo from Amelie. Who, yeah,
0: there's another one who's just gone missing. Well,
1: yeah, and then uh, and Frankie Potente. I mean, she did the first two Born movies, and and she did a few other ones. Um, she did Blow, and uh, she's definitely been in quite a bit. She's been she was in The Shield. You know, she was uh, a lot yeah, of TV. Was, she just,
0: did House and Psych, and uh, yeah, right. She's done some British yeah. stuff.
1: I, yeah, but I, I would love to see her in more stuff. She just she deserves it. Mm-hmm. Truly, so uh Uh-oh. so but yeah she, yeah
0: she's fantastic and um and, and you know i think that that it it makes for a an interesting relationship between the two of them i think she they you know this sort of uh fish out of water kind of relationship we're gonna you know all of a sudden you're paying me 20 grand to be a,
1: a driver uh well it, the thing that i found most interesting about this film is this film came out the same year as i think one of the worst james bond movies die another day um i mean it, it's it's uh it was just not a great film and uh, the the whole um notion of what james bond was you know this this suave guy who would get into these just elaborate fight sequences you know all over the world just have all these gorgeous women whenever he wanted. It it almost was becoming just so over the top and ridiculous. You know, by the uh, unfortunately for Pierce Brosnan, I think he took the brunt of all the bad James Bond movies. Um, I mean, he's got GoldenEye, I guess, but most of the rest of you them know what, aren't you, that good.
0: You know what, GoldenEye? Okay, fine. But the video game for Super
1: NES of GoldenEye was actually far more memorable than the movie. <laughs> But but this came out the same year as I, I think the the worst of them all which is just die another day And it's I think it went to show that People were tired of that sort of James Bond movie people were done seeing you know I mean the fight scenes are great the action stuff's great, but they wanted more story to it they wanted an actual relationship between the the hero of your story and the woman in the story and they they wanted to see a story that actually you know had some meat to it not just this story that kind of pandered to you just so you could kind of jump from action scene to action scene um and i think it was it's interesting that after this movie and die another day both came out that same year they switched james bond um actors and the next one that came out was 2006 um uh, the uh, with uh, Daniel, Craig. Daniel Craig, yeah, and Casino Royale was was one of the best James Bonds. It's what? like they took a lot of lessons from the way they were doing the Bourne series because I feel that the relationship between Jason and Marie is just so heartfelt all the way through. Marie is never treated like just a a woman that that is dragged along with Jason Bourne's uh, escapades. She was always treated as a real character, someone that we really got attached to. We saw her dealing with real emotions. Like I think her, the way that she plays the scene when um, the first assassin um, crashes into Jason's um, former apartment, Paris apartment, and, and they have that huge fight, and she's just completely she's, I mean, literally going into shock. I mean, this guy just like threw himself out the window at the end of the fight and, you know, she's completely in shock and it's, everything was just done so realistically. And it was, I, I think America and, and the world was just felt, uh, you know, was able to take a, a, a deep breath and go, oh, finally something that feels a little more realistic.
0: Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I think that that's a, an interesting point and it's something that, that I, I, Feel like if you look at, at the films of the time, this movie was, um, was sort of a harbinger of, of so many things to come. You know, I mean, it showed not only was America or the world, I should say, ready for a new kind of action hero right we yeah. we had grown tired of the pierce brosnan style of james bond and i you know i i would say you know had you had you released like a never say never again you know they they don't a a sort of a forked reboot of james bond with sean Connery, uh to to attempt to you know when they did that it was an attempt to see you know what is what are we ready for in in this character can we do things a little bit differently i think i i don't think a, a Anybody, any of the historical sort of James Bonds uh, would have been able to pull off a die another day. It, it, you know, we were ready for something really wholly different in our in our action hero, and and I think what Jason Bourne delivered is this uh, is this more sort of human, gritty, um, and and downright sort of puzzled. Uh, action hero uh, that that still showed a lot of strength and respect and uh, toward uh, like you said strength and respect toward women i I think that relationship piece is really important the fact that he gives her an, an untold number of opportunities to get out and and solutions to to separate herself and and yet she is you know she sees the reality of the situation which is you know she's stuck She's stuck yeah. because of choices she made before, not because she was forced into it, but because she said yes to the money, and now she has to see it through. And I, I think it, it allows her to find her strength, uh, again, in a way that, the, that, 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 that highlights the, the sort of specialness of that relationship, the uniqueness of that relationship that we don't get no matter, uh, how, uh, no matter what we think of Halle Berry uh, emerging from the ocean.
1: <laughs> <The> true. <laughs> true true uh, true it, it, it's just it's also nice and actually speaking to that it is nice how at the same time he does finally find a way to get her out of his life so that he can go on and finish this story you know mm-hmm. he gets mm-hmm. he after the farmhouse sequence he gets her out she she leaves with her friend and he tells um he tells what's his name Ward Abbott that you know i killed her i she was slowing me down right and right. It, it's a great it's a great way to i mean it's it's kind of a, a sad way where essentially he's having to say goodbye to the one person who really um he was finally able to connect to it's his only friend like he said but but you know and, what
0: was so great about that is that the 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 exit uh, of uh, marie's exit was such a way that she was taking responsibility for for Something, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. that he was just ditching her. It was that right, right, she had exactly. to go with him to get the, 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 you know, her ex boyfriend or whatever, uh, out of the picture. Like that was a, that was an exit of responsibility. And I think integrity in the, in sort of the, the drama of it, it could have been that he could have just shoveled her off and left her on a street corner. It could have been something with, with no respect. And I think, I think the, we learn a lot about both characters that she's willing to take responsibility to get these other people out of this picture and he's willing to, and, and Jason is willing to let her go. Yeah. And yeah. it makes it harder because he's tried so hard to get to let go of her that by the time he actually has to let go of her, you can actually see no matter how cold he was trained to be, it's hard for them to separate. Exactly. And they they play that really well.
1: They do. And it's a great story and it really, we'll talk about this next time, but it really makes the opening of the Born Supremacy that much harder to watch. Right right uh
0: oh, okay uh um, should we let's let's talk about how this was uh, shot what 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 is unique about how this was shot and maybe you want to use uh the car chase uh or the through paris
1: well i'll just use the whole movie i mean the car chase through paris i think is a a very important uh sequence i mean it, it became known at the time as as one of the uh the best Uh, car chase sequences in a very long time, a lot of it because it was, you know, done with real stunt people driving on real streets, and it really had that feel going back to, you know, The French Connection or Bullet or even Ronin or something like that, where you actually really had a real car chase going on. Um, the, The second unit director, Alexander Witt, mostly was in charge of of doing the car chase scene, shot all over Paris. And it's just, it's a, a fantastic car chase scene. Um, watching this car scene, though, it really, um, and this is a good point to start discussing kind of this whole notion of chaos cinema and um, these other philosophies. There's a classic cinema, which is what people have been watching all the way, you know, up until recent time, really. Uh, it, you know, you watch a, a, an action sequence and everything in it while full of action is is built in such a way where the shots connect from one to the next so the audience can understand all of the action that's happening they can understand the spatial relationship between things and they really get a sense of the environment that they're in Um, there was another philosophy that came out uh, shortly after that Trying to remember what it was called. Um uh, I'm not gonna remember, but um it basically was a philosophy where they took that same style of filmmaking and um uh, essentially amped it up a little bit, where you're getting the same classical style of editing and shooting, but everything was a little uh the shots were shorter the um the camera moves were faster everything just really intensified continuity that's what it is where everything is intensified um that became a, a a way to energize a scene i guess you could say and now this new philosophy came out called chaos cinema uh there's a great set of 3 videos that um that were uh, this guy made and i'm going to pull up the videos right now cuz i can't remember his name Mathias, um matthias um yeah matthias st- uh, stork stork has them up on on um not uh what does he have them press, up on
0: m- press pressing
1: play? Press, play press play yeah press play which he released through um uh IndieWire. so uh we'll put the links up for that so you guys can watch these these essays. Now, a lot of people. It created quite a controversy when he released these uh, video essays about chaos cinema back in, uh, I believe it was in uh, 2011, uh, where this has kind of become the modern style of action cinema, where you've got the shaky cam and you you've got this this editing style where it's it's so fast the cuts are so fast, the shots are so tight on objects, and we're cutting. From them and the cameras shaking so much that you really lose your sense of where you are in the scene And you can't really tell you can tell things are going on But it just makes it that much more difficult to really piece things together and he uses examples of Michael Bay and Paul Greengrass and a lot of modern action filmmakers as to how they use this style and it's it it creates this energy in the scene but at the same time, the audience is starting to lose a sense of of what is the actual story is. Um, this film, The Born Identity, is not so much in the vein of the chaos cinema style of filmmaking. Much more, uh, I, you know, as I watched it again and I really looked at the fight scene, in fact, Mike Evans and I sat down and watched um, the, the uh, Paris apartment fight scene and then compared that with the... Um, the uh, apartment scene in Berlin, I believe, mm-hmm. in The Born Supremacy, just to see the difference between the two. And it's I mean, it is a big difference between Doug Lyman's style of directing, which is much more of a classic style, while it still has some steady cam, shaky cam sort of work in it. But then you put in Paul Greengrass's from The Born Supremacy and it's just it's so shaky. Now, I personally don't have a real problem with that. Particularly on the small screen, but I do remember when I watched *The Bourne Supremacy* in theaters, I was a little um, seasick afterward. But
0: it's you know, it's an interesting thing because you know you can see that the the transition from intensified continuity to mm -hmm. chaos cinema. What I I guess you know is it is it safe to say that we've adopted the term, or should we still give credit to
1: Matthias Stork? I think I... we should still give credit to Matthias Stork it's it's only been his theory for like this past year for 6 for, still, for 8 months. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's I mean quite a bit of internet controversy. Honestly, regardless of what people's thoughts are of whether it has a place in cinema or if it's if it's a bad move for cinema to be moving into or anything like that, I think that the, that the philosophy and the theory and the idea of it is still sound, and I still say, oh, sure, why not call it chaos cinema? It works. It makes sense. I I, I think it can be used effectively, and I think it can also be used poorly, just like classic cinema, just like intensified continuity. You
0: well, know? and and that's why I think this movie is actually a really good example of of um of the transition uh and and what intensified continuity really allows you to 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 do uh with with an action film uh you don't actually lose your place in this movie right in in born no. identity yeah, yeah i don't find in the in the fight even in the the, the fight scene which i i think um uh, the the fight scenes in this movie are are you know like we we talked about the transition from from bond to the modern bond era this the the stunt fights in this film were absolutely um uh, terrific i mean they were exemplary and uh shooting those fight scenes the 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 sort of level of intimacy that you get feeling like you are in the fight like you really are you are you are in the fight when he is when when jason bourne is going at the 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 guy with the with the big pen mm-hmm. uh that I, I mean that is an ex- cringe-inducing, painful kind of experience because it is so intimate. Uh, but that, I think, is a, is a great example of that intensified continuity. It's not so—it it, it still puts a level of, um, of weight, uh, of, of uh, accountability on the actors being able to really perform this fight. Exactly right, and I think the transition. What what and and my you know my argument really is. I think what what Matthias uh, actually hints at um, is is the fact that technology has really uh, been rather than sort of a cultural. Um, uh, shift toward chaos cinema. It's the technology that has allowed us to experiment and get to the point where we have so much shaky cam because, you know, now we can do things with with our film that we've never been able to do thanks to this sort of nonlinear, uh, uh, you know, editing. And if you watch the development of the nonlinear platform from, uh, you know, from Walter Murch in 1996, uh, you know, editing the English patient on Avid to The Matrix to, uh, you know, um, the Coen brothers to Bond, uh, you see you know as good as these platforms are getting uh the the pacing of the shots is
1: is uh, getting shorter and shorter and shorter so yeah and, and it you know in fact there's an interesting website which i just uh discovered called cinemetrics yeah you actually, can totally get, you can get, uh, get lost uh, I mean, in it's, that it's for real serious um statistical film geeks i guess You can type in the name of a movie or a director or, uh, you know, a lot of different things and it will pull it up and you can look and see, like, for example, the born identity, I can see what the average shot length is. And, you know, in here it says the average shot length in the born identity is 3.6 seconds compared with the born supremacy at 2.4 seconds and the born ultimatum at 2.8 seconds, um, although somebody else has the born ultimatum here at 1.7 seconds, whatever it is, you know, it's dramatically different from this. (laughs) They're definitely right. Exactly. Um, And a lot less shaky. So, uh, so it's, it's very interesting to see how that develops and, and what, you know, I guess, you know, as we mature as film viewers and the filmmakers mature, what becomes um, effective use of these tools and what becomes kind of like sloppy or just improper uses of these tools?
0: Because what we get with, with Born Identity is, I think, a really smart use of the tools, and I, it'll be interesting to see, because I haven't watched the other two movies in a couple of years, and, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how those have aged, too. Um, but this one, you can see using quick cuts to increase the level of emotional intensity, in the Film, whether it's an action scene or a chase scene, whatever the case is, you use quick cuts to increase the emotional intensity of the film, and you use longer and slower cuts to to uh, you know to evoke a different emotion, and and um, uh, and and this movie is is sort of pace that way. And when you look at cinematics, you can kind of see a very smooth curve scene by scene as that with the longer sh- shots and the shorter shots, it's a, it's a, it ends up being kind of a lovely sign curve. And, mm. and I think this movie is, it, it, you feel that as you're, as you're watching the film, a- as opposed to, you know, I think when we look at, um, uh, you know, say Tony Scott, you know, look at, um, um,
1: like Domino, I think. Is or Domino,
0: yeah, is a great example of just insanity. Um, yeah. You know, and is that, you know, is that just another sign that, in fact, we are all uh, sort of meth addicts when it comes to cinema? And if we want to get excited about a movie, we can't do it in a movie that is paced historically. We now have to just turn everything up to 11. Every sequence has to be turned up to 11 because we don't know how to how to feel anymore. Right. You know, I, I look what
1: that, at what that does then in 10 years time all of a sudden what we thought was 11 is now a 4 and we have to amp it up some more right. it's the it's the never ending cycle
0: there was a what was the there there are a couple of movies that and and i know i'm getting totally off topic but there are a couple of movies that that um that stick out to me as as uh, seminal in this in in these transitions and um um uh, the the first one was Ray Fiennes. Uh, he did the one where you put the glasses on. What was that one called? Uh, Strange Days. Strange Days blew me away. That was such an uncomfortable film to watch. Um, and and then uh, you know the first movie that I uh, that I saw where I, there was actually a warning, uh, walking in saying this film has been um, has been edited uh, and, and mastered extremely loud. Uh,
1: Don't bring hmm. children. Was Twister. Oh yeah, right. I forgot about that little warning they had.
0: Right, and and that was another one where you where you see that this you know here's a here is these two movies are movies that used you know in case of Strange Days use sort of visuals. Uh, and, and Twister to use kind of the emotion that comes with, with quick cutting audio and, and incredibly, you know, sort of loud audio to, um, to, uh, to push the genre forward. And from that point, from each of those movies, you can see, you can sort of trace the, 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 um, kind of the, the, the fruits of, of those films, um, uh, you know, over the subsequent decades in terms of pacing and, uh, and mixing. Yeah. Um,
1: Okay so well and, and and a lot of that you know uh, not so much well e- even in this film i mean that nature of that intensified uh continuity or even the chaos cinema theory comes from the idea that okay if you're really in a fight scene everything is moving that much faster your head's whipping around a lot faster and it it creates that almost a documentary style feel to it where <laughs> you're actually you know you're not just this um Alfred Hitchcock as god as director person standing in the back with a camera filming a scene happen in front of you you're actually in the scene and very much like a documentary like the camera is literally like a part of the fight and it it is a very interesting school of thought as to how you can create an action scene and make it much more intense by Essentially involving the filmmakers in the fight rather than having them observing from from the back Um, It's Mm -hmm. just it it does I mean you talk to a lot of people I Don't ever really mind the shaky cam. It never bothers me that much Um, But there are people out there that I know who if a shaky cam fight scene comes up They'll literally will have to just close their eyes wait for it to end because it just makes them nauseated
0: Yeah yeah, you can you can feel it. You can feel it. Uh, certainly feel it coming. And I think as cameras get smaller and smaller, and the editing tools get faster and faster and more precise, I, I think we're we're you know we're only going to see more of it.
1: Well, especially because as as the cameras get smaller, as the editing tools get simpler, as things get cheaper you're going to end up with a lot of filmmakers who aren't as skilled at using these tools and are going to be using them in ways that are very, um, just not schooled and it's going to feel very amateurish and it is just going to be very poorly done.
0: Well, and you know, you can, you can almost feel the next transition, which is, is less shaky cam than, um, you know, and I, I think probably an elegant use of it is, is, um, you know, extremely, and what is it even called? Extremely high frame rate uh, slow motion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where you have uh, uh the hurt locker, for example, the first explosion of the hurt locker when you see the earth actually move and the rocks, right. uh, the the sand actually ele- uh, sort of levitate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's that's kind of the next generation of of shaky cam, right? <laughs> where we you know kind of inspired by the Matrix, and now we have these incredibly high frame rate cameras that are that are hitting you know, more or less the mass market and, and now you're able to do stuff and test stuff and push boundaries of, of action sequences in new ways. And like you say, it's going to first, it's going to be amateur. And then, you know, there will be folks like, uh, uh, what's her name? Catherine Bigelow,
1: Catherine Bigelow, right, uh,
0: who use it really artfully and beautifully and it can be done uh, and, and to create really powerful moving image.
1: And I'm totally fine if we end up with more born series as opposed to more uh, die in other days.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and you know that's interesting because then we end up with with Casino Royale, which is one of my absolute favorites, and then Quantum of Solace, which was not as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know there are, obviously we've talked about that there were a lot of extenuating circumstances the Ryder sure. strike and things like that but the, but the you know in terms of the the filmmaking effect of those two movies I think I would be totally okay with a lot more of those movies I think they're
1: fantastic
0: yeah, in terms chaos, of the way chaos they were made
1: cinema or not yeah you know, they're great movies
0: yeah uh, one of the most interesting pieces of that uh, which I think is always a great exercise is uh, you know Matthias uh, Stork in his I can't remember if it's the second I think it was the second. Uh, part two of his chaos cinema uh video essay, uh where he's you know, he he makes the case that uh what makes Chaos Cinema work when it does work is extremely meticulous audio and, yeah. and, and audio that actually an audio track that actually takes you through the scene because what you can't, you know, it's these it's it's the the idea that audio and video have to work together uh in, in concert with one another in order to give the whole uh, film experience. And he, you know, he separates, um, uh, the chase scene in Quantum of Solace, uh, the opening chase scene where you, what you see, you know, without the audio track, and then what you hear without the video track. And it's, it's, uh, it, it makes a remarkably kind of powerful point. Um, and, and I think proves his point in, in, at least in that case. So, uh, maybe we got off topic there a little bit, but, um,
1: well, but it's, it's very interesting in the nature of action films, you know, how, how all of this is going to tie into, I mean, I, it's all going to come down to the, the Doug Lyman a little more, I'd say, the, the classical cinema style, maybe the intensified continuity style of action filmmaking versus the uh, chaos cinema style of action filmmaking. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how the future of action filmmaking goes from here.
0: Yeah. You know, interesting to note, I I would say The Amazing Spider-Man was more akin to
1: Doug Lyman than it was to, uh, you know, chaos. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I can't think of that many moments where it felt like we we're using shaky cam. Yeah. In, I mean, maybe by the nature of swinging on a web, we're, you know, yeah. kind of creating smoother shots. Well, I
0: know, uh, yeah, I you still. know,
1: uh, yeah, I was about to make
0: the case that when you're, you know, when you're using that sort of scale of, of, cg effects uh, but then michael bay comes into
1: play well and, and, and maybe transformers CD was a mess that. you know i don't yeah. know but i can imagine shaky cam in 3d really probably would make a lot of people sick yeah yeah <laughs> uh
0: okay so let's uh let's let's talk about the performance of the movie how it did you know i, I actually great. have a quote the budget
1: um 60 million it did go over budget um you know this is something i guess we we can mention it uh, there were a lot of problems in the production of this um it it, they went about eight million over budget they were supposed to release it actually september in 2001 not a, a great movie or a great month to release a movie like this it ended up getting pushed back to the following summer due to reshoots rewrites um there were a lot of problems of Doug Lyman and his independent style of filmmaking with the studio. They just didn't click very well. Um, and, uh, you know, there were some scenes that he and Matt Damon really wanted to be kept in, particularly the farmhouse scene, which I love. I guess it actually got rewritten quite a number of times um, because uh, the studio wanted to just cut it out completely. They felt it slowed the movie down. Um, but then after September 11th, the studio felt um, strangely that, you know, a lot of this action stuff, we're never going to be like, it's, it's strange listening to Frank Marshall talking about the, the the nature of film after September 11th. And he's just like, you know, we're never going to be able to show an explosion in a movie again. And the way that that incident Affected the filmmaking community and and what they were thinking was going to be the way they could tell stories after this They I mean they literally felt like we're not gonna be able to show anything blow up They had this whole new ending rewritten that they were going to do and they decided not to do it And they just kept it in the Paris scene or in the the Paris um, uh, Treadstone building at the end of the film Mm -hmm. and um, but yeah because of September 11th, they ended up uh you know, rewriting a lot of the, uh, the different elements of the film, trying to figure out different ways to make it. And uh, they wrote a whole new ending and a new beginning and um, ended up deciding to just cut them anyway because they didn't work out very well. It was this whole flashback scene where the movie actually was going to start with Jason Bourne in Greece looking for Marie. And then he has a spell. You know, he, he has this spell and collapses. He essentially then... Flashes back to the entire rest of the movie. And at the end, he wakes up. He's in a bed. And um, Ward, played by uh, Brian Cox, is standing over him, essentially saying, we want you back in the fold. Let us know when you're ready. We'll be waiting, Mm -hmm. essentially. And then he goes off and finds Marie. Very strange um, open and close that you can watch on the DVD. I don't think they worked at all. And I'm very glad that they, they did not include them.
0: Well, we should. I, I should say personally that I I don't feel like I have ever, I you know, in, in watching the movie again, I I remember being just shocked and awed by Jason Bourne's escape from Treadstone. Yeah. In that final scene, yeah. when he pushes the body through the stairs and falls eight stories, <laughs> riding riding the, it, <laughs> riding the body down the the center column of the stairwell and and shooting all the way down uh that was that was awesome
1: yeah and then the nice little twist which <laughs> i i mean i i can't remember if i saw it coming when i first saw it but the nice little twist that the cia was not um after this whole mess happened they were not in fact anymore trying to kill jason bourne but who they were actually they were- killing at the end was conklin right um, right wonderfully played Wonder, wonderfully, wonderfully
0: played. played we didn't talk about it at all i mean we've talked about chris cooper before uh but yeah an adaptation and an adaptation. adaptation
1: fantastic actor i mean when does he do wrong
0: no he really doesn't and this is one of those movies where he he played uh you know he was a piece of the puzzle and he didn't he he didn't overplay it he didn't underplay it he was the he you know he played. Uh, he he was the foil that he needed to be, in order for Jason to to tell his story. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, uh, the, it's i wanna Fantastic. I you know I, I we got to go to the Ebert. Uh, I I just to, to wrap up a little bit. I'm I'm interested in your take on this, uh, particularly the last line of his review. So I'm just going to read the paragraph. Mm-hmm. Uh, starts. I kind of enjoyed the Born Identity. I had to put my mind on hold, but I was able to. I'm less disturbed by action movies like this, which are frankly about nothing, than by action movies like Wind Talkers, which pretend to be about something and then cop out. Doug Lyman, the director of Bourne, directs the traffic well, gets a nice wintry look from his locations, absorbs us with the movie's spycraft, and uses Damon's ability to be focused and sincere. The movie is unnecessary, but
1: not unskilled. Hmm. Yeah. God. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- that's like saying, you know, Die Hard is unnecessary. I mean, you're right. I mean, most movies are unnecessary, but I don't know. It's, I don't really know where he's going with that. Uh,
0: this is one of those where the sometimes the, the Ebert lets me
1: down. Yeah. He's, he does some strange reviews sometimes. I am not. You know. I,
0: I mean, what kind of a I I kind of enjoyed The Born Identity. Yeah, kinda. (laughs) I was really I you know, I just I found myself really moved by that last line. The movie was unnecessary, but not unskilled. If it was, in fact, skilled, wasn't it at some level necessary? That's that's my that's my take.
1: Well, yeah, it's just it's it's a strange review. I mean, what does it mean to have a movie be unnecessary? It's it's a form of uh, art or entertainment. If it's entertaining, then then uh, sure, you can say entertainment is not necessary. But at the same time, you know, we all need to take a break from things. And and taking a breath and enjoying ourselves i think is very necessary and if you put it up between this and die another day you know i certainly would think that uh, that die was another unnecessary being yeah. a lot more unnecessary actually and unskilled than this yeah. well this
0: it you know the for me the bottom line this movie is it adds to the gestalt of the espionage thriller it adds yeah. to the catalog to the canon and and does not detract from it and i think in that in that way it it is a it it really is a terrific film Uh, it's artfully paced and uh, it it doesn't oversell and and the tale of his rediscovery is humane and approachable and and uh, it makes the action uh, that much more uh, uh, appropriate punctuation
1: just to throw it in there Um, Ebert actually gave um, Die Another Day three stars, just as he did The Bourne Identity. I find that a little strange. Although he does say Die Another Day is still utterly absurd from one end to the other, of course, but in a slightly more understated way, and so it goes. Bond after Bond is the most durable series in movie history heads for the half century. There is no reason to believe this franchise will ever die. I suppose that is a blessing. He but, also gave the dictator
0: three stars. Oh, and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. <laughs>
1: so anyway, let's yeah. just close that All review right. up.
0: So we're uh, gonna pick up. Uh, we're gonna uh, do. You, do we have anything to add? Uh, I don't want to cut you off.
1: Uh, to. Doug oh, I, you know, I three. never finished the numbers. I okay. started and yeah. then I went off. So it did well. It sixty million, eight million over budget, but domestically it ended up making one hundred twenty one million. Internationally, another almost ninety two million. So worldwide, about two hundred thirteen million, plus you know probably it's it's about one hundred fifty one million just on the first initial home video release. So I mean, it definitely was uh something that they decided was definitely going to be one of their um uh, their tent poles and going to be one of their big series of franchises that they were going to burn out with this. So so that's um uh so those are the numbers. So uh, it was great seeing some of uh my favorite TV people in this um Walton Goggins from The Shield showed up as one of the techs working for Treadstone. Um I love The Shield and uh Shane in and the Shield, just one of the best TV characters ever. So, I, anytime I see Walton Goggins, it makes me happy. And then I still don't know how to say this guy's name, but it, Adewale Akanoye Agbaje, something Fantastic. like that. That's my best guess. Um, Simon, from Lost, Mr. Echo.
0: Oh, I, I, Simon Adabizi from Oz. You didn't uh, watch? You didn't
1: watch Oz, huh? I didn't watch Oz. No, but uh, yeah, Oz he was HBO, uh, Mr. Echo, and in and uh, here he was playing Wombosi. So it was thrilling to see him. And, of course, the lovely Julia Stiles, who does manage to show up in all three films. So um, I, I think she's great. I don't think she works enough. I think she should start getting more roles. But I absolutely love her in the Bourne movies. Oh, she's so and, great. Yeah, she is great. And her character is a really interesting one. And it'll be nice to talk about her over the next uh, the next two films after this and how her role changes and becomes more predominant by the time we get to the end
0: you know i i want to add just my excitement about uh, adewale akinoye akbaje mm. uh, they there's rumor that he might play black panther
1: in black
0: panther are you not black up on the black panther uh it's another marvel guy
1: oh my goodness
0: he's one of the avengers actually yeah. in the in the comic lore
1: it really that's a along very with, interesting uh, along
0: with oh you know we didn't even talk about uh, more gossip from Comic-Con Edgar Wright is doing Ant-Man that's I
1: awesome. know I know I was like when's he going to finish the the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy Well I think that's first <laughs> right? I think Ant-Man's first you think, I think Ant-Man's, Ant-Man's first, first. Damn.
0: Okay well I, anyway. I heard
1: that they already have done some test footage for it so
0: uh well, I can't wait for either one of them. I do want them both to, to come. Uh, here, okay, here. so I'm sorry I just I completely sidetracked you on that, but I uh, was very excited about.
1: No, uh, that is the very prospect exciting.
0: of a Black Panther and an Ant Man and the Three Flavors Cornetto wrap up and Julia Stiles. I'm excited about all the all of those things, all four of those things.
1: Here, here.
0: And of this movie, it was a uh, this is a great movie uh, and uh, an awesome talk. So uh, you know, in wrap up, go see. It comes out. Uh, I. I I think in some parts
1: of the world. Can you see it already? The Dark Knight Rises? Well, uh, considering that this is released on Friday and it came out last night on Thursday. Then yes, you
0: should have. So you should have gone to see it already. Uh, and uh, uh, Dark Knight Rises in theaters now. Now, wait a minute. Should people see it in 3D or is this a conversion? Or is it's it even not, related? There's
1: no 3D. There is Christopher no 3D Nolan, on I actually just read something today. Christopher Nolan, um, Roger Ebert posted on Facebook. A quote from Christopher Nolan saying, "I anyone I've talked to about 3D says that they don't like it. So he's decided he's not going to do any 3D movies.
0: That's good. So, uh, I yeah. actually like
1: that because it's just,
0: ugh. you know, the big movies like this one I'm going to see in the theater anyway. I don't need to see. I get it. But I this, get one, this one is definitely
1: one. I mean, they actually did shoot IMAX. good chunks of this with the actual IMAX cameras. So if you are able to go see it at an actual IMAX, theater do so if you don't have that option go to a limax theater and see it there and then if you don't have that option just you know you might as well just you know get a a crummy pirated copy and just watch it that way (laughs) because and sit
0: alone in your house under a (laughs) desk alone
1: in the dark pint of bunny tracks ice cream
0: (laughs) so uh so the the imax thing uh the last one i i find myself really annoyed with imax uh, because the last one was really annoying with IMAX, because I hate the the Switch. You know the Switch? You think I, the whole movie's in IMAX, and IMAX. I don't IMAX. even not. notice
1: the Switch, though. You actually Are you notice kidding? the Switch, because it's, it's invisible for me. Oh, no, I totally see the Switch, because the oh. screen size changes. The screen well, changes. It does, but if you're
0: into the story, you're not going to be noticing it. I'm that. not that into the story. I'm never <laughs> that into the story. It's like somebody comes in and puts glasses on with me, uh, and, and then takes them off again, and now, oh, now I can see the rest of the... Ugh, forget it. <laughs> all right. So go see it at your fancy IMAX. Go to a museum and see the Batman movie. There you go. All right. So we'll we'll see uh, all of you good people will be on Google Plus on Saturday night. Please join us for our late night movie clutch. Go uh, like the new friend uh, new page on Facebook and uh uh the movies we like page and and uh, you can catch up on all of our old episodes and uh, you know
1: find us on Twitter. All that good stuff. Thanks Andy. Fantastic. We will uh we'll be chatting soon. Indeed. about the bat.